Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. And we love HETV because there are all these shows about how they take these old decrepit homes that are ugly and nasty and they fix them up and they make them beautiful. They restore them. And, uh, and, and the shows are pretty predictable. Usually there is a couple with a budget and the budget is either to purchase a home and renovate the home or it is to simply renovate the home that they have. And so they will give their budget to the, uh, to the architects, to the designers, and they will say, this is what we got, do something to make it beautiful. And so the designer will take the budget and they will form this 3D rendering and show them how they can do all of these amazing things within this budget that they have. And if you've ever seen the show, you know how it commonly goes, is that they, they start demolishing the house and as they demolish the house and pull back plywood, what happens? They find stuff, right? They find mold, they find termites, they find dry rot, they find water, they find old uh, wiring that is very dangerous. And so they discover all of these really harmful things and a huge part of their project is simply the demolition of removing those things. It's interesting, even this week, I, I heard about a place where they were demolishing the walls and they found some electrical wire and it had on the electrical wire the, the phone number of the company who made that electrical wire and the phone number was only four digits. That's how old the wiring was. I saw one where, where they were excavating some things and they actually found skeletal remains. And so they had to call in the police to come and get it. But, but, but when you start taking off the drywall, you start finding all of this stuff or start taking off the roof. And so, so usually it's much worse than what they expect. And that kind of blows the budget a lot of times. But, but the first step, again, is to really, you know, get all of the rot out, get all of the mold out, get all of the termites out, get all of the bad stuff out. And it is at that point that they then start to rebuild something beautiful. Last week, uh, we started Psalm 51. And, and, and we started with the theme of real repentance. And real repentance is the demolition phase. It's the phase where we start uh, taking away the drywall and seeing what is behind the surface level. And usually our hearts are much darker than we had first thought. Uh, we learned last week that we don't, uh, we, we're not sinners because we sin, but we, 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 we sin because we are sinners in our heart because we love sin. We have affections for sin. We crave sin. And so we sin out of that sinfulness inside of our heart. And so a real repentance that David models for us is, is to have a confession of our sin, to not, to not blame God, to not blame our parents or our children, to not blame our boss, but to own our sin and say, we have sinned against God. 
And so it starts with a confession of sin, and then it moves over into a cry for mercy, acknowledging that our sin deserves God's judgment and God's wrath justly. It would be completely fair for God to condemn us to hell. And so we, we cry out for mercy, God, have mercy upon us, a sinner. And then finally, a calling for cleansing. This is the part, again, where, 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 the, where the dry rot is being taken out, where the mold is being scrubbed off and treated. And so, so that's where we left it. Really, we were, we were stripped down to the studs. This is repentance. Get everything nasty out of me. But now starts the beautiful work of restoration. And that's what we are focused on today here in Psalm 51. So if you would, please turn to Psalm 51. It is page 474 in the Red Bible. And as you turn there, I did want to save two announcements to make sure that it made the recording. Uh, one is that the Sunday after uh, Memorial Day weekend, we are going to be returning to two services. And so uh, if there are those who are watching at home who just don't feel comfortable in such a crowded sanctuary, it will be more spaced out at that time. And then also, um, if you are are homebound uh, because of medical reasons, uh, please email me. I'll shoot you a link of the live stream so you can join us live on Sunday mornings. Okay. Psalm 51, restoration. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let my let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a very broken world, but we also confess that we are very broken people. And we long for restoration, God. We long for, for cleansing and for purity. We long for the joy that you have intended for your people, God. And so, Lord, I pray that even today as we come to your word, that this would be a step in your restoration of your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Real repentance leads to real restoration. Now, what does that restoration look like? What does it look like to be restored into a full human being as God has intended us? Well, this is what 
David teaches us today. The first thing we see is that real repentance leads to a restoration of real rejoicing or real joy. We're really going to look at verses 8 through 12, but let's, let's read verse 7 through 12. Verse 7 says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We covered this last week. That's the cleansing process that David is crying out for. And then verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. David has not heard joy and gladness in a long time. You see, sin is false advertising. Sin promises joy and gladness, but it never brings joy and gladness. Sin will bring pleasure temporarily, which we confuse for joy and gladness, but it really robs us of the joy and gladness that God has intended for us. And so David says, let me hear once again of joy and gladness. In other words, Lord, let me not hear of your just judgment and condemnation due to my sin of adultery and of murder. But God, may I hear your voice of grace, of forgiveness, of mercy, of pardon, of steadfast love. In Psalm 32, David says, Blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And so David says, let me hear joy in gladness of the gospel of grace once again. And then he continues, continues in verse eight, and look here with me, because this is really, really important. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Did you notice here who broke David's bones? It wasn't David who broke his bones. It wasn't his circumstances who broke his bones. It was God who broke his bones. Of course, this is figurative language, but what, what David is acknowledging is that God loves us so much that he will break our bones in order to rescue us from us. That God loves us so much that he will break our bones in order to recapture our heart. That God loves us so much that he will break our bones in order to restore our joy. There's a story that I've heard in several places, and to be honest with you, I don't know uh, how true it is, but it's a really good illustration for this. Uh, the story, uh, or, or what they say, is that in biblical times, uh, when a shepherd would have a sheep that would go astray, when a sheep would leave the protection of the shepherd and the nourishment of the shepherd, which is foolishness, but when the sheep would go astray into the far country, the shepherd would go after the sheep. And when the shepherd would find the sheep, what he would do is he would take the leg of that sheep and he would break the leg of that sheep in order to warn it never to again stray away from the place of comfort and protection and provision that's under the shepherd. And so he would break the leg of that sheep and he would put that sheep on his shoulders and he would carry it back to the flock to care for that sheep. And he would break the leg for the good of that sheep. In the same way here, David is confessing that God will break our bones to recapture us to himself. In Isaiah 53, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. God is a good shepherd. And if we, if we run from him, if we stray from him, if we stray from the joy of his presence and his provision, he will love us enough to come after us and to break our bones. He loves us enough to let us suffer the awful consequences 
of our sin. Maybe even now you are here today and you are experiencing the uncomfortable grace of bone breaking. Maybe you have been running away into sinful things and you know this and misery has come upon you. This is God's grace to bring you back to himself, to restore the joy that he has intended for you. Verse nine, David continues. He says, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We covered all those verses last week. Then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There's a lot here, but you see, David says, restore to me. That is to turn back, turn me, turn me back, to return me to something. And David is asking God to return him, not to salvation, because David knows that his salvation is secure. But he says, return me, Lord, to the joy of my salvation. David knows that the joy of salvation is to be his. This is what God has intended for him. And the joy of our salvation is to be in sweet communion with God. You see, even in this little passage here, David is communicating something that is very important. Is that if we truly are born again, if we trust in Christ for our salvation, that our union with God cannot be broken, but our communion with God can be affected, Right? If we sin against God, no matter how bad our sin is, if we belong to God, we still belong to God. But in our sin, it disrupts our communion with God. And and David is praying for the restoration of that communion, the restoration of his joy and relationship with God. Let me give you this illustration. Yesterday, uh, we got back from the, uh, let's see, it would have been Friday, maybe. Friday, we got back from the dude's camping trip because we had a bunch of football to go to. And so I, I, got, I got home and I unloaded the pop-up camper and I pulled a whole bunch of stuff out of the trunk. And I said, okay, kids, I'm going to the other son's football game. When I get back, I want all of this stuff put away. Well, I got back and all of this stuff wasn't put away. And so I got angry. I was frustrated. And I came into the house and man, I was, I was hot. And so I'm, I'm there yelling at my kids, what are you doing? Come on, I told you, go get this stuff, get it, put it back, blah, 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 right? Now let me ask you, in that moment, what percent are those still my children? 10%? 20%? Legally, what percent? 100%, right? They are still my children. But how do you think that affects my communion with them? When they're scared of dad when they're frightened how dad might respond to things. Of course it affects the communion. And it's through repentance that there's restoration of that relationship. When there's restoration of that relationship, there's a restoration of joy. And this is what David is crying out to his heavenly father. You see, we are always the ones that disrupt our communion with God. God is always the one who restores our communion with God. And so David is crying out for God to do this. You notice here something very important that he says that that I kind of breezed over, but he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He doesn't and say, restore to me the joy of my salvation, which have been perfectly appropriate for him to say. But here he is emphasizing that salvation comes by God and God alone, and that the God who saved him is the same God who can restore his relationship with him. And so this is part of that restoration process. 
that God is restoring unto us rejoicing. But he's also restoring unto us real proclaiming. Uh, I've said this before, you've probably heard me say this, but, but everyone here is an evangelist. Every, every human being is an evangelist for that thing which they most unashamedly cherish, whether it be a sports team or a video game or a grandchild or a TV show or a restaurant. We are evangelists for things that we unashamedly cherish, and that's, that's good. That's not a bad thing. We, we love to be proclaimers of good news. We were made to be proclaimers of good news. And so the question isn't if you will proclaim good news, but what good news are you going to proclaim? And you will proclaim the good news that is goodest news to your heart. Verse 13, David says then, that is after real repentance and the restoration of real rejoicing in God, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. When we experience the overwhelming goodness of God's forgiveness. When his mercy is to us a most precious treasure. When we get just how amazing grace is. Proclaiming God's goodness and grace and forgiveness will overflow from our souls. You know, right after I became a Christian, I went uh, off to college and was a part of a fraternity house. Um, and people are like, oh, was it a Christian fraternity house? No, it was not a Christian fraternity house in any way, shape, or form. It is the type of fraternity house that you imagine a fraternity house being. But I was completely transformed by God's love and grace and mercy towards me in Christ. And so when I got to the fraternity house, uh, I would tell guys about Jesus. And I really did not have much tact, to be honest with you. Sometimes I was offensive. A lot of times I was shy. Uh, but but I tell guys about Jesus, and I would I would gather them together to go to the campus ministry, to go to church on Sundays, started up Bible studies in my fraternity house. Again, not a whole lot of tact, but I was high on zeal. I love to tell others about Jesus. Now, it's been 20-something years since I have become a Christian, and I have grown intact. Um, I have had 20 years of ministry experience. I have been to seminary, and so my tact has grown a lot. But sadly, if I was honest with you, I feel like my zeal has gone in the other direction many times. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and man, you are high on tact. But your zeal has diminished from when you first came to know Christ as your Savior. And the question is, how do we restore that zeal to tell others the good news of Christ? And it's again by meditating here what we see on Psalm 51. To repent of our lukewarm affections for Christ. To repent of our complacencies. To remember the mercy of God for us in Christ. To be amazed once again with grace. And through this repentance to experience God renewing the joy of our salvation. That we might go and teach sinners how to repent and to return to God. David continues in verse 14. He says, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Remember, he murdered someone. Uh, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud 
of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Here David is vowing not only to proclaim the the greatness of God to others, but to proclaim it in worship, in singing, in praise. We talked about this at great length just a few weeks ago about why we give praise to God. And if you remember that quote from C.S. Lewis that I think is so helpful, he says, praise not only expresses our enjoyment of something or someone, but it completes it, right? It doesn't just express our enjoyment, but it completes our enjoyment of that. Let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, this is a fictitious story. You'll, you'll see that as I tell it, but, but there's a story about a priest. Um, this is what the story says. And this priest decided one Sunday he was going to skip church and go golfing. And so, um, and so he calls in sick, and he drives two hours away so that he won't get caught, and he goes to this great golf course to go golfing. And so Peter and God are up in heaven. This is where it's fictitious. And they're up there and Peter says to God, God, you're not going to let him get away with that, are you? And he's like, no, I'm not going to let him get away with that. And so anyways, the priest goes out there and he's golfing. And as, he, as he's golfing, he's having like the best uh, golf outing of his life. He's hitting, uh, he's hitting scores that the professionals would hit. And then finally he gets to this 18th hole, which is a long par four uh, hole. And he steps up to the tee and he crushes the ball. I mean, he hits it harder than he's ever hit the ball the rest of the, his entire life. And so he takes his, uh, his cart up and he goes and he looks for the ball and he can't find it uh, in the fairway, can't find it in the rough, can't find it in the sand. Finally, he sees the ball is in the hole. He got a hole in one. And so Peter turns to God and says, hey, I thought you weren't going to let him get away with it. And God said, I'm not. Who's he going to tell? You see, praise not only expresses our enjoyment of something, but completes it. Could you imagine not being able to tell anyone about that good news of what a great round you played and how you had a hole in one? God calls us to praise him. Again, not just to express our enjoyment of him, but to complete our enjoyment of him. And so real repentance leads to the restoration of real rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord. Real repentance leads us to the restoration of real proclaiming, proclaiming the best news, not just good news, but the best news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, real repentance leads us to real restoration of worship. Look at verse 16 with me. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now, if you took this verse alone in isolation, it might seem that David is undermining the entire sacrificial system written throughout the Old Testament. But as we will see two verses later, that's not what David is doing at all. So let's see what David is getting at. Verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God, that is the sacrifices that are pleasing to God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or crushed heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That is, when we come to God and worship, we must not come with self-confidence or confidence in ourselves. We not come parading our self-sufficiency or our goodness or our righteousness, but instead we come confessing our sinfulness and our need for God's mercy. And that even our good deeds are tainted with our sin. We come prostrate before God, acknowledging that we grieve 
over the corruption in our heart. And we plead once again for his mercy and grace and love. I mean, this is really what makes Christianity different than every other religion. In every other religion, you're supposed to come to worship with your moral resume in hand and say, look, I am acceptable here before God because of what a good person I am. And so in every other religion, you have to confess your goodness. But in Christianity, you confess your badness. You confess your sin. And the amazing thing is that in Christianity, this leads us to joy. Not to burden of trying to earn God's favor, but of the joy of remembering that God's love for us is completely, 100% unconditional, regardless of how we have sinned against him. And so this is almost like, like a, a paradox, that our repenting leads to rejoicing. Because in every other religion, repenting actually leads to being put down further in the hole that they have to climb out of. But for us, it's a, it kicks us off the performance treadmill and cling to God's grace and love. David continues in verse 18. And he says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. In David's time or the time of this passage, uh, the walls of Jerusalem were intact. Uh, there were no issues with the walls of Jerusalem. And so David is most likely speaking figurative, just like we talk about God building his church today. Uh, this is what David's saying. He said, rebuild Jerusalem. David is acknowledging that his sin is not just, uh, does not just have ramifications, ramifications for him and for his family, but it has ramifications for all of the people of God. And so he's saying, rebuild Zion, rebuild the people of God. And then verse 19, he says, then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. David is not undermining the Old Testament sacrificial system. He is undergirding the Old Testament sacrificial system. You see, the whole purpose of the sacrificial system was to show us how heinous our sin is, the penalty of our sin, which is death, and to make atonement for that sin. And so for someone to come into the temple of God with their moral resume is a complete contradiction because you are coming in not with your moral resume, but with your list of sins and seeing the bloody sacrifice in front of you that you deserve. And so we should not come in proudly, but humbly, knowing about the sacrifices made for our sin. Today, we no longer make animal sacrifices. And the reason, as the book of Hebrews tells us, is that all these animal sacrifices for sin we're to point forward to the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, talking about Old Testament priesthood, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They provided ceremonial external cleansing, but they could never take away sins. Verse 12, he says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 17 says, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more were there 
is forgiveness of these. There is no longer an offering for sin. And so we no longer make an offering. Our communion is not an offering of Jesus again because Jesus offered himself once and for all as a sacrifice for our sins. And so here's the thing. If we come to church in a self-righteous, proud manner, of our religiosity and our morality, we are actually undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are more or less saying, Jesus died for nothing because I have this on my own and that is offensive to God. It is important to understand that David is not denigrating the actions of real worship, but rather promoting a heart of real worship. Listen, we all come here today And we all sing the same songs and we all hear the same message and we all take of the same bread and juice. And there is nothing wrong with that. But what David is asking is where is your heart in this? Do you come with self-confidence or with Christ's confidence? Do you come proudly or in humility and repentance, receiving God's grace and love time and time again? Let me end with this, and this might be one of my cheesier illustrations, but I want to introduce you to my friend Fred. Do we have a picture of Fred? There's Fred right there. Uh, Fred is a beautiful camper, uh, perfect and flawless you know, was at one time full of just laughter and giddiness and fun and play and all those things. But Fred got into a little accident and uh, Fred started on fire and Fred burned to the ground. And the only thing left of Fred was a frame and some flat tires. Uh, the, the, the wiring was melted, the jack uh, wasn't working. I mean, it, Fred was a complete mess. His frame was all bent up, he was rusted, and he was basically left for dead. Um, but then some people saw Fred and they thought, you know what, we can restore Fred. And so they started to, to, to take uh, blow torches and melt Fred and bang Fred back into order. And they started to build a floor on Fred, if we have that picture. And so they started a subfloor. They replaced the tires. They replaced the jack. You might know where this is going. And so then they put a floor on him. They put, they put beams up to put a roof on Fred. And so now... This is what Fred looks like. Do we have a picture? There's Fred right now, right? And, and if you don't know, Fred is in our lower parking lot right now, okay? But this is the story of Fred. And Fred is now a place uh, where, where there is great singing, where there is great joy, where there is great rejoicing, where there is great worship. But at one time, Fred was, Fred was not in a good spot. Fred was an unhappy camper, pun intended, okay? Uh, we are not, <laughs> dad jokes, we are not so unlike Fred. You know, we were created beautiful and flawless before God, but our sin has wrecked us. It has made us a heap of rubble, and and we are left out for dead. And really, there is nothing we can do to restore ourselves. And yet God has come into the junkyard, and he has set his affection upon us, and he says, I am going to restore you. And so God starts working on us and building us and crafting us into this thing called the church. And so both individually and collectively, what God is doing is that he is restoring onto us the joy of our salvation. He is returning onto us the good news of the gospel to be proclaiming it to others. And he's he's restoring onto us a heart of worship in which we come and enjoy 
The greatness of our God, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, day after day after day. Friends, maybe you're here today and you feel like that rusted out trailer. You feel like absolute rubble because of your sin. Real repentance leads to real restoration. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you do not give up on us. You would be completely justified to do so, but you have chosen to set your affections and your mercy and your grace upon us, Lord, to rebuild us, to to form us into something beautiful in your church, a, a holy temple where your spirit dwells, where there is proclamation and rejoicing and worship, God. Lord, pray that you would not stop that you would not stop restoring us. God, we have a long way to go, God, and we know that you who has started a good work in us will carry on to completion until the day of Christ's return. And we praise you for that confidence that we have in Jesus. Lord, as we now turn to your table, I pray, God, that we would come with a heart of repentance, that we would, that we would recognize the cost for our sin, Lord, the, the horror of our sin, Lord, that we come repenting of our sin. And, and Lord, even if we're in a place where we don't feel like we're fully repenting, God, we repent of our repentance, Lord. We repent that we're not even repenting as much as we should, God. But Lord, we come to the table repenting of our sin, knowing that our salvation is not up to us, but that you have accomplished it on our behalf and you are restoring us and making all things new. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.